The reading for the sermon is uh, from the Epistle to Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 11 to 15. Do take a seat. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The unknown author of Hebrews sees Jesus' death on the cross as an event that launches a spiritual transformation in those who respond to it with repentance. Hebrews 9.14 doesn't say that Christ made an offering of himself to cleanse our consciences from guilty feelings that result from sin, but to cleanse our consciences from our sins, from acts that lead to death. Hebrews 9.15 doesn't say Christ died as a ransom to set those who trust him free from being guilty of their sins, but to set them free from the sins themselves. Likewise, the Apostle Paul doesn't see Christ's death and resurrection as a a solve for the troubled conscience. He regards Christ's death as dealing with sin, as part of the human, indeed the cosmic, condition. The, the participatory strand in Paul's theology takes sin to be a problem of our, our identity. The atonement, as it's been called, doesn't merely adjust our moral standing before God. But instead, when we respond to it positively, it inaugurates a change in the kind of beings that we are in relationship with God. Hence, Paul will describe the Christian life as a continuous participation in Jesus' death and resurrection. In Romans 6, he says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too 
may live a new life. So Jesus' death and resurrection bring about a new covenant between God and humanity, a new way of having a relationship with God. Just as a a properly authorised person breaking a bottle of champagne on the side of a ship whilst saying, I name this ship, brings about the naming of the ship. So Jesus' death, in the context of the interpretation he put on it, brings about a new covenant. It is, of course, his resurrection that shows Jesus to be someone with the authority to do this. Jesus described his death as an act of sacrifice that would inaugurate a new phase in the relationship between God and humanity. The Last Supper, and interestingly in the tent over there today, we have a Last uh, Supper set up. Uh, The Jewish Passover celebration, when he gave this his own new twist. Passover represented God's greatest act of deliverance in the Hebrew Scriptures and the creation of Israel as a nation. When Israel was later oppressed and defeated by her enemies, the prophets would predict the day that Yahweh would return to Zion to accomplish a new and greater exodus. Jesus' Eucharistic words recall and transform the rich symbols of Passover. The unleavened bread of the Passover meal now represents Jesus' body given for the disciples. The uh, implication is that he is the new Passover lamb, Passover sacrifice. The Passover wine now represents the blood of the new covenant. So while the first covenant was instituted with the blood of sacrificial animals, this new covenant will be established through his own blood. Hebrews shows us that just as the Passover wine symbolizes Jesus' blood, so Jesus' blood symbolizes the self-sacrificial grace of God's love. Under the Old Testament system of repeated animal sacrifice, people's ritual pollution was symbolically placed upon an animal and symbolically taken away in that animal's death. After the sacrifice, the animal's flesh was symbolically shared between God and the people as a way of reaffirming their fellowship. Now this was a system of of symbols given by God using animals provided by God. For every animal in the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 50.10 But now acting as both priest and sacrifice, Jesus establishes a new covenant written in the blood of his once-for-all sacrifice. The new covenant shows that God himself suffers our sins. The new covenant shows that God shares himself with us in a fellowship born from love. A fellowship that that predestines those who receive his sacrifice of atonement by faith 
to be presented to himself as a radiant church, a new Israel, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Ephesians 5.27 The Christian philosopher Keith Ward elaborates upon God's sacrificial suffering of sin. He says, The crucifixion of Jesus, insofar as it is an act of God, as well as the self-offering of a human life, is the particular definitive historical expression of the universal sacrifice of God in bearing the cost of sin. Sin is a harm done to God, inasmuch as it causes God to know and to share the suffering and reality of evil. The ransom God pays is to accept this cost, to bear with evil, in order that it should be redeemed and transfigured in God. The patience of God bearing the cost of sin takes the life and death and resurrection of Jesus as its own self-manifestation and makes it the means by which the liberating life of God is made available in its essential form to the world. Forgiveness is the willingness of the wronged to suffer and to absorb the wrong done to them for the sake of relationship with the person who did that wrong. To forgive someone is not to excuse their sinful actions, nor does it mean pretending they aren't guilty of sin. Forgiveness means affirming someone's guilt whilst choosing to set aside the pain that they caused you so that a relationship grounded in love may nonetheless exist. As Rowan Williams puts it, the radiant beauty, the glory of the gospel is the glory of a divine letting go. One of the hard things about Hebrews is that its author writes about various physical things that represent or reflect various spiritual realities, but then discusses the spiritual realities using those very same physical symbols. So, as high priest of the new covenant in his blood, Christ entered the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. But this doesn't mean that Jesus walked through the door flaps of a tent created by non-human hands in some alternative dimension. The author of Hebrews isn't imagining a relationship between a heavenly temple and an earthly temple like the relationship Plato, the Greek philosopher, posited between the realm of the ideal, abstract, spiritual forms and their inadequate physical copies. Hebrews 9.11 means that the entrance of the high priest into the Holy of Holies is an earthly symbol of the fact that Jesus has been welcomed into the very presence of God. The sanctuary is heaven itself. And that those who put themselves in Christ are thus welcomed into a forgiven relationship with God. 
as he entered the heavenly sanctuary by virtue of his own blood, his people, by virtue of the same blood, also entered it. Where he is, they are. A better translation of verse 12 would talk about Christ securing eternal redemption. That is, a redemption that's eternal because he is eternal. That is, once for all, because his is the sacrifice to which all the temporary sacrifices of the Old Testament pointed. The high priests had to present themselves before God repeatedly because such redemption as their ministry procured bore but a token and temporary character. Christ entered in once for all to be enthroned there in perpetuity because the redemption procured by him is perfect in nature and eternal in effect. Scripture uses several illustrations to highlight different aspects of the atonement, just as scientists use different analogies to capture different aspects, say, of light. Light is described by scientists as both wave-like and particle-like, a description that's incoherent when taken literally, but very useful when taken analogically. Hebrews describes Jesus' death as a ransom that buys us out of our slavery to sin. But this is a metaphorical purchase because our sins don't literally own us and can't literally receive any payment. Neither is Jesus' death a ransom paid to God as a way to convince him to forgive us. Jesus' sacrifice doesn't make or even allow God to love us and forgive us. As theologians Joel Green and Mark Baker affirm, whatever meaning atonement might have, it would be a grave error to imagine that it focused on assuaging God's anger or winning God's merciful attention. Jesus died for us Because God already loved us. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And, as a consequence of that love, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4.10 Or, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 In the end, the critical question is not whether you fully understand God's action in suffering on your behalf. It's whether you are moved by his suffering to turn around, to repent. Then the power of God that conquered death in Jesus will be at work in your life as well. It is Jesus Christ at work in our lives through the Holy Spirit who has the power to cleanse our consciences by creating in us a new heart as we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Levitical offerings could and did provide ceremonial purity only on a temporary basis. But the offering which Christ made could purify your conscience 
That is, it was an inner and a spiritual cleansing that is being offered. Therefore, as our author goes on to say, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Amen.